Hey there, welcome to the show. Uh, so I hope everybody got through the snow this past week. Wow, I'll tell you, I don't think we had too many showings on Monday in the real estate world. Um, in fact, I hope everybody just stuck to the virtual tours. Probably would have been the best way to handle it. So, you know, as everybody digs out of the snow, you know, we do talk about real estate at this time of year. Our showing's gonna stay strong. What's gonna happen with the economy? Are we gonna take a look at an interest rate hike? Well, I've got one heck of a lineup this week for you. In fact, uh, we even have a carryover interview. I'll talk to you about that in a second. But uh, I do have Dave Butler who's going to be joining me momentarily for uh, an update on what's going on in the uh, world of mortgages. But I also have a special guest joining me uh, first time, uh, Brett House. He is the Vice President and Deputy Chief Economist at Scotiabank. And I'm really looking forward to a conversation with him. Get his perspective on what the Bank of Canada is looking at and the economy here you know, into 2022 and moving forward. Um, as I mentioned, also, I just, you know what, I couldn't resist because when I had the past presidents on with me last week, you know, we just kept talking and talking and talking and realized there was just so much more to discuss. So, um, yeah, I've got two segments with uh, Paul Etherington, Tim Sirianos, and Ray Ferris. So uh, that's a little bit later in the hour. But, you know, it, what a what a, an incredible start to the new year. And uh, just to throw it out there, just so everybody knows, um, we do have a new release out of London. And uh, that's right, one bedroom starting at 269.9. If you want to find out more, go to thesimpleinvestor.com. You can find out about this new release out of London, Ontario. And uh, really exciting stuff. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to let everybody know. Also, you can follow me on Instagram, the Simple Investor One. But you know, just a quick uh, rundown uh, this week on uh, what we're seeing as far as numbers. You know, record record year 2021, of course. You know, big sales numbers, and we keep watching the you know the values go up. A lot of people are concerned about this, and the one thing that I continue to you know stand pat on is is the lack of inventory. And right now, I mean, we're down to a historic low of what is in the marketplace. So if you are thinking of selling, you know, this may be the right time, especially if we start seeing some upward pressure on interest rates. That's one of those things that we've got to keep our eye on. And we'll find out if, you know, interest rates going up, if it cools the market at all. I'm not going to say it will. I just think there's just so much demand out there for people wanting to buy you know, new home from for themselves, their first home ever, or for that matter, investment properties. So we'll keep an eye on the market. And uh, you know what, the best way for me to do that is to bring in my next guest, Dave Butler from BM Select. And uh, hey, Dave, how are you? I'm very good, Todd. How you doing? Great, thanks. Glad to have you on. Um, you know, here we are. Uh, I'm going to ask you, how was your January so far? Uh, interesting January. I mean, we have definitely a lot of runoff as i would call it because the way that the december business days worked out with the holidays as you know the eves christmas eve and new year's eve fell on a friday so a lot of businesses gave their employees the day off myself included i know a lot of lawyers were shut down so really if you look at the amount of business days that were in december there wasn't as many to close all the deals so a lot of those deals not a lot but i mean certainly a, a portion of those deals got pushed over to january but as far as actual closings january is looking incredible i'll be honest with you again i think that has a lot to do with some of the runoff from december but we are getting new deals i spoke to my sales team yesterday and it is still very very hot like i mean they are telling me that they did not feel this pressure last january so um i know i obviously i hear of the doomsdayers and everything else but so far the market is hot 
Um, and certainly, you know, we're going to we're going to look at how that translates once we start to see some of the upward pressure on the Bank of Canada's uh, prime rate. Right. And, you know, I'm going to be having um, the uh, Scotiabank's uh, vice president and deputy chief economist um, on next with me. And, you know, interest rates, Dave, this is this is obviously the hot topic for spring 2022. And for us, you know, in the investment game, obviously, we like to keep interest rates low where possible for cash flow purposes. But, you know, we also have to factor in the fact that we will see some increases you know, right now, if we're talking to some of the lenders, you know, are they capable of still locking in rates at, uh, you know, a longer term? Or what should most people anticipate being able to lock a rate at? And what's the length of time should we be looking at? Well, I guess I would start off by saying, you know, I, I would, you know, as we find ourselves heading into, you know, what would be considered a, a, a recovery, uh, you know, post uh, the craziness of COVID, if you will, although I think most people would say we're not out of the craziness, but I think the financial markets are starting to price uh, the ending of COVID in, um, you know, uh, markets are always forward looking. So I wouldn't be surprised to even see the Bank of Canada do a, a slight quarter percent raise in January at the end of this, at the end of the month here, just to kind of get a, a feeling as to how that uh, translates. Um, you know, I do think that we will see, you know, probably two, three, possibly four raises in the year. The good news is, the prime rate is at the lowest point it's ever been, uh, at least in the last you know, 50 years. Uh, so I can tell you that any increase of the prime rate is certainly going to still have unbelievably nice low interest rates. I mean, you know, you have to remember our market, the Canadian housing market was still very hot and very safe and a very good investment prior to COVID. And the rates at some times, if we go back, Todd, you know, there was a five-year fixed at 3.89 back in 2018. People seem to forget that. And investors were still buying and they were still doing well and they were still able to cash flow. Um, so definitely an increase of rates. I can expect the prime rate to go up a little bit. Um, but certainly with fixed rates, we really got to keep our eye on the bonds. The bonds have already been pricing in increases for the last little while. And we've actually seen the fixed rates go up. But there's still incredible fixed rates out there. I mean, if you're buying a property today and you're putting in less than 20% down, I'm seeing fixed rates still in the low twos, in the low to mid, you know, to quarter to mid twos. Um, conventional mortgages where you're putting down 20% or more, we still got incredible fixed rates in the two and a half upwards to the two and three quarter ranges. So again, these are fantastic rates. If we take the last two years away and just look at the rates that they are now compared to previous years, we're talking incredible, incredible rates still should allow the housing market to continue to be hot. I think that's one of the things that, you know, we have to keep in mind and put into perspective. You know, we've been we've been spoiled with these rates for the last two years. My concern, obviously, is how people absorb the mindset of a rate going up. And, you know, you, Dave, you, you, you made a good point. 2018, you know, we had some higher rates. Um, it was kind of, you know, on the heels of the stress test being put in as well as um, the foreign buyer tax. You know, one of the things that we keep having conversations about here on the show and, you know, I, I guess in the in the entire network is the fact that there's the swirling effect of the government potentially throwing in capital gains on your primary residence. You know, they keep doing the surveys, you know, they engage CMHC to do this. Sooner or later, you think that this is going to have to start start a fire because they, they keep saying, oh, no, we're just looking into it. But they're spending millions of dollars on these surveys to figure out, you know, it, what will happen and how much money can they get if they start taxing people's primary residence. 
I don't know what your take is on it. So maybe you can share it with us. I think it's interesting. I mean, uh, you know, again, the housing market was extremely robust previous to this. I think that, you know, if I'm, if I'm get, you know, trying to pick up some of the smoke signals that are out there, there seems to be this big war on real estate investors. You know, the public is claiming they should have to put more down payment in, um, you know, so you could see something like that. I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I think the reality is if you take away the last couple of years with the low rates, um, you know, due to COVID, I think, you know, you're still going to have investors buying properties. You're still going to have people buying properties. Uh, you're still going to have first-time buyers. I mean, it's the, the reality is, is investors, there's this big uproar that investors somehow have, you know, contributed to this market. And certainly when you have low interest rates like this, they would. But I do believe that going back to a regular equilibrium of rates um, will certainly allow the rest of everyone to catch up and get back to normal. Again, I think it's just, it's always interesting to me that people are surprised that investors, which are generally people that are looking at, always looking at investment, trying to get returns on their money, would not be looking at the Canadian housing market when interest rates were low. I just think it's funny that people are out there you know, claiming that this is new knowledge. I think we all, all those of us who are in the game kind of knew that this was what would happen. Um, but I definitely think, you know, with the government and what they're doing, I think we'll see some things. I think, I think first of all, they got to raise rates and kind of get the public sentiment on that. And then I think from there, they might decide to make some changes to programs. Generally, they don't make changes to programs at this time of year. Um, you know, that, that is usually something they reserve for near the end of the year. But obviously, we are in spectacular times and certainly spectacular movements could happen. But um, for now, I'm just playing it safe. I, I'm definitely counting some rate hikes. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be looking at maybe some possible changes to programs. I think they've given up on changing of the stress test. I don't think that's going to do anything. I don't think they can make any major moves to uh, other than just small increases to that. So they may be looking elsewhere, but um, I also think it would be a temporary thing. They're, they're trying, they, they may have an objective to try to do something here. And if that's the case, that's fine. Um, they will make some moves. And then as we know, um, if they don't get what they're looking for, they'll make moves to go back. So the government has been funny in my, in my 20 plus years of watching interest rates and the government and how they react to mortgages and housing. Um, I'd say some of the reactions have been comical and, and some have been good. So it'll be interesting to see how it works out. Okay. Well, fortunately you and I have, you know, a, a, a ringside seat to it all. And it's, it's what we do every single day. Um, so Dave, if our listeners want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do it? They can give us a shout at our office. The number is one 684 8326 or you can send us an email. Our email address is info at bmselect.ca and uh, would love to work with anyone that's uh, that's looking for some guidance and looking for some information. Excellent. Well, listen, Dave, always a pleasure having you on the show. Looking forward to having you back uh, real soon, and uh, we will we'll chat in the next few weeks. Awesome, Todd. Have a great one. Enjoy. Thank you so much. So coming up after the break, I've got Brett House, Vice President and Deputy Chief Economist, joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, uh, my next guest, he is the Vice President and Deputy Chief Economist at Scotia Bank, Mr. Brett House. And Brett, welcome to the show. It's great to be on with you. Thanks for having me. So, Brett, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, we do rely on uh, economists to be able to tell us or, you know, we hopefully have a little bit of a crystal ball. But I'd like to talk to you today about 2021 and also some of the forecast for 2022 and moving forward, you know, what the economy looks like and, you know, what we can anticipate potentially with some uh, interest rate hikes. 
Well, it's useful to take stock of some of the numbers we've had on 2021 because they tell a pretty good story of an economy that's recovered quickly and very sharply from the downturn and shutdowns of 2020. Economic activity as a whole is well above the levels that we saw pre-pandemic. Employment is higher than it was uh, prior to the shutdowns in March 2020. And the share of Canada's working age population that is employed is the highest that we've ever seen in Canada. So all of those data points uh, indicate an economy that is well on the way to healing from 2020's disruptions, but there's still some real pain points. Parts of the economy that have uh, trouble physical distancing, so service sectors that are high touch, like tourism, entertainment, culture, recreation, hospitality, employment is still down. In some provinces, uh, businesses are even prohibited uh, from operating right now. And those are going to be the areas that we're going to continue to watch to see the full recovery of the Canadian economy completed in 2022. And we have some pretty strong forecasts for this year and next year with growth remaining well above the kind of underlying potential or average that we would expect out of the Canadian economy. And as a result, uh, we are expecting the Bank of Canada to move aggressively over the course of this year and into early next year to start containing some of those price pressures that have produced the really high inflation readings that we're seeing. So, you know, when we take a look at the real estate economy, um, going through the pandemic, a lot of people had anticipated that real estate would actually go down in value, and yet it actually went up. And one of the things we've been reporting from day one was the fact that you know, a lot of people were moving into the outer markets. Um, people realize how important it is to own their own real estate. And so, you know, it's been a it's been an incredible two years, actually, in the real estate market, uh, you know, during a time that was very difficult for many. But when we take a look at this, um, you know, the the word housing bubble comes up a lot in conversation. And yet, if we take a look at the numbers, you know, we still do not have enough inventory to satisfy the needs of the multiple purchasers that are out there. Is this something people should be concerned about? Is there, you know, basically a cliff coming in the future, even if we see interest rates go up a little? Well, the short answer would be that we don't think so at Scotiabank Economics. We have been one of the leading voices for years saying that we don't have enough existing housing supply, nor are we building enough new units to cope with the population gains that we have in Canada as a result of our immigration policy. And so coming into the start of the shutdowns in 2020, we were one of the few shops that said we're going to have a short disruption in real estate markets, probably a very brief downturn in prices, uh, but that these would be quickly recovered because of those underlying fundamental and very long-term structural supply and demand imbalances. There simply aren't enough homes for the number of Canadians we have and the number of Canadians we are likely to add either by uh, natural birth or by immigration over the next few years. And that's why we don't see uh, the prospect for a cliff ahead in housing prices in Canada, largely because um, we have population growth uh, ramping up over the next few years with very ambitious uh, immigration targets. And uh, on the side of homeowners who are having to respond to and cope with interest rate increases, 
If you look at the average mortgage in Canada, uh, outstanding right now, CMHC says it's around 240k. Um, if we see the kind of aggressive moves by the rate by the Bank of Canada over this year and next year, uh, people who are renewing five-year terms, which are you know the most uh, ubiquitous mortgages in Canada, are going to see the interest rates they're paying rise by something around uh, 60 to 75 basis points this year on average, and something closer to 100 basis points next year. That's going to mean somewhere around 100 to $150 per month on average in increased mortgage payments. Now, that's not trivial by any means, but you know, most Canadian households, particularly in a context where labor markets are tough and both employers and some workers are expecting relatively strong wage increases over the next year. That's a context where Canadian homes households should be able to cope reasonably well with those higher rates. So we see a persistent supply and demand uh, imbalance and uh, Canadian household balance sheets and finances that can cope with the Bank of Canada's rising rates. So it is very hard to generate the kind of cliff or popping of a housing bubble uh, that has been a persistent concern about Canada's major markets over the last 15 to 20 years. And a little bit of historical reflection is maybe useful here too. If you look at the late 80s and early 90s, the last time the Toronto area went through a significant housing price downturn, you had a big oversupply situation going into that six to seven year period where housing prices were below water for uh, the latest purchasers. Uh, we are in a situation now where the existing inventory in the Toronto area against uh, population, uh, adjusted for population, is well below its 20-year average. So you know, we're coming into the next two years, which are going to be periods of flux with rising interest rates in a fundamentally better situation for sustained uh, housing valuations than we did the last time Toronto saw a housing downturn. Right. So, you know, one of the current concerns for a lot of our listeners um, is when they start talking about mortgages, you know, some people use variable rates, some people use, you know, fixed rate mortgages. Uh, if the Bank of Canada uh, puts any uh, upward pressure, you know, uh, again, reports are saying maybe the first time we see it will be this spring quarter point increase. You know, looking at the, the actual interest rates that we sit with today, I mean, they are so historically low. I, I don't want to say it's free money, but it's pretty darn close. If we start to normalize our market, you know, and people have said, you know, interest rates between 3 and 4% may be the end result or where we should start seeing a little bit more of a balance. Is this something, you know, people should be looking at saying, okay, you know, because right now we have our stress test that is involved on a regular basis working working with purchasers so you know they all have to qualify today at 4.6 4.7% so you know i would think that we do have a safety measure saying that you know if we do get to 3 or even 3.5% 4% mortgages would the people that qualified are still qualified yeah absolutely and you make a great point there because uh you know on our forecasts we're seeing the bank of canada's uh, benchmark policy rate going to around two and a half percent by the middle of 2023. Uh, that is going to result in uh, mortgage rates that are obviously higher than that, but still under the thresholds at which most mortgage holders over the last five years have qualified 
uh, for their existing borrowing. And, you know, it's in a context where the principal on the existing borrowing is smaller than when it was contracted and where you are looking at significant uh, possible income and wage gains for most households, particularly at the lower end of the income spectrum. That's where we're seeing in the US and Canada, some of the strongest pay increases and the prospect of further increases. Uh, so again, while no one wants to pay more on their mortgage, the household finances uh, that enable those payments are looking pretty healthy uh, in the aggregate uh, for Canadians to be able to sustain um, slightly higher costs there. So I, I, I hate to put the pressure on you with this, but if you, um, and, and I guess most of the research you'd be doing, what should we anticipate this year with the Bank of Canada as far as rate increases? In our latest forecast, we're looking at a first rate increase in the January meeting on Wednesday, the 26th of January. Um, you know, the precise timing of liftoff is something economists and market strategists are debating fervently right now. Uh, the reason why we think January is now live for a rate increase is we've had, you know, another very strong inflation reading. We've got housing prices that finished the year uh, with big gains. Uh, we have employment numbers that are very strong and the prospect of strong wage gains. And most importantly, when you look at the most recent surveys of businesses and households from the Bank of Canada, you see expectations for inflation rising substantially and are now at the top end of the target range for the Bank of Canada. That's a danger sign for an inflation targeting central bank where you've got essentially every bit of the price complex and the expectations complex uh, moving higher. That's a context where they need to move and where even if they follow through on what I think is the most hawkish view on the street with 175 basis points that we expect this year and another 50 next year to take the benchmark policy rate to two and a half percent, you will still be in a situation where that benchmark reference rate is below the rate of inflation. So that's still a very accommodative situation that um, is stimulative to economic growth, stimulative to credit creation, and should enable uh, the Canadian economy to continue to repair and uh, move uh, back toward the potential level of output that we would have seen if the pandemic hadn't happened. Well, listen, Brett, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show, and I look forward to chatting with you in the future. Thanks for the great questions, and uh, I look forward to speaking with you again. These are things that are top of mind and essential to Canadians' well-being, and uh, we really enjoy talking about them. Excellent. Thank you so much. Take care. I just want to thank Brett House for joining me, and he is the Vice President and Deputy Chief Economist at Scotia Bank. Coming up after the break, I've got those extra segments with the past presidents, Paul Etherington, Tim Sirianos, Ray Ferris, going to be joining me right after the break, so stay with us. And welcome back. As I mentioned before the break, you know what? I had so much fun with the past presidents that, um, and, and, and when we stopped recording, we realized we had left so many things that uh, untouched, you know, and again, this is just because when you deal with the professionals, the people that are, you know, running the show, you got to get 
to them and find out what's going on. So, you know what, we continued on. And um, so joining me, uh, Paul Etherington, past president of the Toronto Real Estate Board, 2014-2015, broker of record at Royal Heritage Realty. Tim Serianos, post, uh, he, he's past president 2017 of TREB, director currently at the Canadian Real Estate Association. So anything Tim has to say is not endorsed by the Canadian Real Estate Association. We always have to give this disclaimer for him. But of course, he is the he is the uh, owner, uh, broker of record at Remax, part of my real estate triangle every single month. And I do have the past president of the Ontario Real Estate Association, Ray Ferris, no stranger to the show, uh, broker owner at Erie's Edge. Uh, gentlemen, you know, I, we just realized we just had so much fun after we stopped recording, I thought I'd just, you know, throw caution to the wind. And Paul, one of the things that uh, came up, a big, big thing, I talk about it here all, all the time on the show, is, of course, immigration. And you know what? Some great points made. So do you want to take it away? Sure. Um, you know, immigration is a good thing. This country's built on immigration and we're going to continue to have immigration. But we can't bring in 300,000 people into the country every year if we don't have a place to put them and we have to have we have to have housing we have to have affordable housing to put these people in and and they don't want to go they may start out going to different places outside the gta or different things like that but a lot of them do want to settle in the gta or vancouver or the major centers and and we have to have housing to put these people in yeah, and Tim, you know, one of the things, of course, you and I talk about it all the time, is Toronto is probably the biggest magnet, period, bar none, in the end for new immigration, job opportunities, where people want to be, support, hub, everything else. You know, we know that we were light in 2021. Government went throughout the number of 400,000 that could come in. Obviously, we didn't hit that number. You know, this year they're saying, you know, 450, next year 500. I mean, when we, you know, where's it going to stop? When we start looking at these sheer volume of people coming in, you know, and yeah, we don't, we kind of have a stagnant growth naturally in our population, but we still bring all these people in. They need some place to live. Absolutely. And, and you know, to Paul's comment, he talked about 300,000 people and you said it's 400,000 people. What we've seen is that, you know, in immigration is a lot of people do go to where they said they're going to go, whether it's going to be, a, you know, a different city or a different province. You know, they are going there, but very quickly they are, um, as we discussed, you know, the magnet of the big city centers like Toronto, the power, you know, the, the kind of the business engine of Canada, uh, not to sound like a homer here, but that's the reality. Um, they do end up coming here and to the outskirts. Um, what we did see in 2021 was a lot of fast tracking of citizenship. Um, we did see transactions that happened um, from people who are not in Canada right now, who are anticipating being in Canada. Um, these are not foreign investors. I want to make that very, very clear. These are people who have every intent of living in Canada. And, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of students, you know, I have a daughter who is in second year university at the University of Toronto, uh, very proud of her. And, you know, all the chatter, all the conversations um, that are happening within our chat groups are that people are now buying and renting and and looking at, you know, getting here sooner than later. So it is something that's real. Uh, last year was a 400,000 um, number. Uh, this year around 415. So we'll see where it ends up. You know, and one of the interesting things is, is and, and again, as as Paul had said, you know, they start at the outer markets, they end up coming in, you know, it could be Moose Jaw, wherever, like they, they do start far, far away, gravitation, you know, coming here. You know, it's funny because 
new report just came out that North Bay is the number one place in Ontario to move right now. And most people that would be coming in from new immigration wouldn't naturally land in North Bay. They would, you know, they take a look at that and say, okay, too cold, a little bit too remote. But now more people are coming out of the GTA or, you know, in the Ontario area and they're moving there. Ray, this is one of the things that I think you recognized over the last couple of years was the attrition to the outer markets as well. Yeah, for sure. So our clientele right now primarily is people that have been living in Toronto, are leaving Toronto, selling their home in Toronto, and moving out to our neck of the woods. We're a two-hour drive southwest of Toronto, and it's incredibly difficult for somebody who was born and raised in Norfolk County, who wants to continue to live and work in Norfolk County because their family is here, and be able to buy a home. Because they're competing against people who have sold their home in Toronto and are moving out here, whereas first-time home buyers need to have a financing condition and so forth, whereas somebody coming from Toronto who's already sold their home won't need that. So uh, our clientele has shifted significantly over the last few years. And, and like I said, it's people coming from uh, the city areas. So, Paul, one of the things, you know, obviously the narrative of real estate has, you know, gotten to the top level where, even even it's surpassing some days COVID. You know, a lot of people are talking about it. One of the fears, interest rates, a little bit of pressure there. You know, we know that government uses it as a check valve, but Bank of Canada should be looking at increasing the rate probably once or twice this year. They're going to do it incrementally, according to them. You never know, knee-jerk reaction could happen. But when we take a look at affordability, we take a look at interest rates, you know, one of the things that I think we've lost in the whole narrative of ownership is that interest rates, even if they go up by 1%, that's really affordable still. And yet I think the last few years have spoiled people to the point where if it doesn't have a one in front of it, they think they're paying too much for interest when they look at a mortgage. Yeah, I, I do agree with you. I think that the interest rates um, are you know, it's great for people buying and getting a mortgage, but they're artificially low. And I don't think we should push the rates up or anything like that. Like, again, not too quickly, but the rates do need to go up and they probably need to go up twice this year, maybe even three times and maybe a quarter point each time uh, to get us to more normal rates. Um, Historical rates, these are the lowest rates we've seen historically in, in forever. I mean, I started in real estate in 1984, five year mortgage was 12%. And it went up to 14% before it started coming down. Um, That would stop some of this price increase. But that's not the way to do it because then you're doing it artificially. It's got to be done properly. Let the market find its own way. When a house sells for $1.6 million and they say $400,000 over what it's worth or something, no, that's what the market value of that property was on that particular day. And, yeah. and that's what we have to get leave the market alone, let it find its own natural level. Yeah, it'd be nice if the if the headline said sold for market value as opposed to, you know, these, these absurd numbers. And of course, you know, Tim, uh, Paul had alluded to when he started in real estate, that's, you know, back in the day where we used to have to make carbon copies of our offers and we had six copies, everybody had to press hard, you know. Um, and and I know you 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 joked around on our last show with with Paul because you know back in when the average price was, 
So when when we take a look and we, we fast forward, you know, one of the things that we did recognize going through this entire pandemic, though, was the speed that everything advanced, you know, to the point where it's Zoom, it's DocuSign, like real estate's taken on a whole new, um, you know, evolution, evolutionary way of negotiation. I think I was in elementary school when uh, <laughs> Paul was actually started his real estate career, but that's a whole different topic. Uh, <laughs> we've both seen a lot of changes. Um, I my, my licensing started in 1988. Um, I was actually active in 1989. The average interest rate uh, six months into my career was 14.5% to provide some perspective. Uh, I actually joke with many of our of our um, team members here and and people who are new to the industry of just how things were different um, during the recession that was from 1990 to 1995. I think I sold more appliances and mortgages than I did actually houses because that's that's how volatile a transaction was. You know, from actually coming together or not. Um, when I bought my first home in 1999, my interest rate was 6.4 percent, and it was a steal you know, at 6.4% compared to what was before. But you're right. I mean, the evolution of real estate and what we've seen throughout our, our, our career, and I'm, I'm sure Ray can comment on it too, has been very quick, more so in the past, I'll say four years, five years than before. It seemed to really be quick before, but it seems a lot faster today. Um, the efficiencies are amazing. I embrace these changes. Uh, I know a lot of us here on the panel uh, do embrace these changes because it just makes the consumer win, right? The consumer actually is able to uh, transact and 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 be much more mobile and not worry about carbon copies. Um, I mean, even I mean, our agents still drive down the 401 and QEW. Um, our agents from downtown Toronto go all the way to uh, Paul's areas and all the way to uh, Ray's areas. And I know what Ray feels like when he sees. <laughs> <laughs> Toronto agents flying down the highway and wondering what the hell are they doing here? Stay in your own backyard, you guy. You know what I mean? But um, I know he's open-minded to that and he knows that that's not the real thing, right? 18% well, you know what? Of- we're good. What we're going to do, guys, we're going to go to a quick break because I do want Ray to weigh in on that because it's a great point. So, folks, all <laughs> uh, we'll be right back with the past president. Stay with us. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, as I said in the last segment, I just, you know what, we had such a great conversation when we were we were recording the last show with the past presidents. We just couldn't resist to keep going. So uh, joining me, Paul Etherington, past president of the Toronto Real Estate Board, 2014-15, broker record at Royal Heritage. Tim Serianos, past president of the Toronto Real Estate Board, 2017, the year that the market crashed. Um, anyways, and he's also broker owner of Remax Ultimate, Ray Ferris, broker owner of Erie's Edge, past president of Aria 2016. Tim, just before the break, you were talking about how, you know, you grab some of the agents, they go down the highway, they hop into Ray's marketplace. And I thought uh, maybe you want to finish that thought. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I have, uh, we'll share that since the pandemic started, 18% of all our transactions are being done outside of the Toronto proper neighborhood that we used to do. And that's a lot of reasons behind that. Obviously, affordability would be one. Um, you know, you drive until you qualify, as they say in our business many times. Uh, but I would say that 18% of, of the actual transactions that we've done on an annual basis now, um, it's quite interesting just how much further our agents are driving, even from Toronto, to assist buyers and sellers. So, Ray, 
Um, how do you feel about the city slickers coming into your neck of the woods? <laughs> like, is are are they? Is it almost like it's too easy for you? You know, they come in not necessarily having the same knowledge as you, or what do you think? Look, I, there are times when a realtor will represent a buyer in our neck of the woods, and that realtor just simply isn't qualified to be conducting the transaction on behalf of their client. I know Tim very well, and I know Tim is a solid broker of record. He's one of the cream of the crop in this business. So there's no doubt in my mind, if an agent from his brokerage is trading in a rural property, they know what they're doing because I know the level of education that uh, Tim provides. So it's critically important that when an agent is representing a buyer outside of an area where they typically train, uh, exchange real estate, they have the knowledge and education to do that. Uh, there's not a chance in the world that you would ever catch me driving downtown Toronto <laughs> to try to represent a buyer in the purchase of a condo. I don't know market value. I don't know zoning. I don't, I don't even know how to park in downtown Toronto or ride the subway for goodness sake. <laughs> so I would be doing my client a tremendous disservice. Uh, Paul, for example, has referred clients to my brokerage that he has been working with and asked me to represent his clients in the purchase of a transaction in our territory. So I'm not saying that uh, somebody who's trading in my neck of the woods isn't experienced if they live a couple hours away. I know Paul, for example, used to own a cottage uh, in the Muskoka area. Paul probably would be able to represent a purchaser in Muskoka because he knew that area because he had a cottage there. But my word of advice to buyers is make sure that when you have a realtor representing you, they know the market in which you're buying. Like I said, you'll never catch me trying to sell anything in Toronto because I don't have the knowledge. <laughs> and you don't have the parking pass. So, um, you know, one of the one of the things that uh, for the three of you, so for our listeners sake, so, you know, when we take a look at marketplaces um, and we have presidents in place, you know, sometimes a market will reflect you know, what is actually happening. And, you know, in, in Paul's case, you know, in 2014, 2015, great growth year. In the case for Ray being the uh, ARIA president in 2016, again, same growth year. Tim, you kind of got a bum rap because, you know, the government decided to intervene during your presidency when they introduced in 2017 the foreign buyer tax. And, and, and they didn't even give you any runway to get people, you know, prepared. When the Wynn government did it, it was a complete knee-jerk reaction and basically implemented right away. And we know that that has a real adverse effect, not just, you know, because they thought foreign buyers were running away, but it had a mindset shift. You know, how did you handle that? And I mean, you know, we, we, we joke about it here on the show, but quite frankly, it was the government intervening once again in a, you know, natural market. Well, all the gentlemen here on this panel all agree that one of the biggest challenges we've always had in representing the industry uh, in any way was to communicate with the government as often as possible and make sure they don't make decisions or announcements um, that would cause unintended consequences um, to the entire industry. Because homes, with, with every single home that's being sold, there's been study after study that uh, demonstrates somewhere between seventy and seventy-five thousand dollars of spin-off business. Real estate is the stick that stirs the drink. Um, when I, you know, the best way I can look back on my term is that I actually put a positive spin on it, and I said that during my term I made 
real estate affordable for a period of time. That was the best way. That was the best way that I can, you know, not have my night sweats and think about what, you know, it was, it was very, listen, Paul was there. Um, you know, it was not easy. It was a constant, um, it seemed like every two days I was in the media, whether it was on, uh, TV or radio talking about, uh, uh, perspective, uh, you know, talking about why the market shifted and how the market uh, and how real estate is a sound investment and it will spring back. Um, so I, you know, I was lucky that I was right because <laughs> it happened well, within a year. But you, um, you got hit with two things because then you had the stress test that came into 2018, which yes. again had, you know, didn't have exactly a good feeling for people when the stress test got in, in, implemented. No, the stress test just was, it was like being in a, in a boxing ring uh, with a heavyweight and, you know, just getting a one-two punch. I can, I can just reflect back and, and share that the countless meetings that um, people on that board, including myself, the CEO, uh, even at Ray with Aria, you know, talking with uh, different levels of government, talking about how uh, foreign investment is under, you know, we, we did a study, it's at four point you know, um, uh, 8% or something like that. And then the government did a study and it came in at 4.5, right? And we're like, why aren't you listening to us? We are the boots on the ground, right? We are the people who are dealing with um, the transactions every single day. So it was like a one-two punch, Todd. It was literally one announcement after the other. But I'm going to just tip my hat to the volunteers, um, these people on this uh, show as well, who uh, continue to communicate with the government and just and, and all the people today beyond our years. You know, we got to be proud of these people in the industry because they're just volunteering their time and giving back and and just enlightening the government not to make the same mistake. And hopefully they listen and they don't put this luxury tax in this equity tax in or any form of capital gains tax in because it's counterproductive. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think that's important for our listeners to know that, you know, a lot of times uh, I, I think they don't realize the strength of the association and the boards that are in real estate. You know, Paul, when you were president, you know, the, the, the market was picking up, but you know, one of the good things in your presidency, you're always educating people on how to, to conduct themselves realtors, but it's also the public perception of what a realtor is and how to discern, you know, if you're getting good representation. Um, I think it's important that, you know, people like yourselves are always in front of the media so that we understand what's going on in the industry as as we do with area as an association so paul you know any of the big obstacles that you had to um, overcome during your presidency you know i think when the theme of my presidency was really to buy real estate it's a good it's a good investment and we really push that the realtor's job has changed dramatically over the last number of years i mean we used to pick the houses to show the clients. Now the clients have access to all the houses. They pick the houses they want to see. But our job is to educate them. They can see the house they want to see, but they don't know what the other house is sold for sometimes in the area. They don't know the historical stuff. They don't know how the paperwork all works. And it's our job to educate the public. And that was the theme, really, of my presidency. We had a good year when I was president. The market went up a reasonable rate. Um, you know, the following year it was really Tim that got hammered. That was Kathleen Wynn. And, and the thing is, 
they did that without asking anybody. They just announced this stuff without any input. And it could have been done a lot differently. The stats they put out were wrong. And, and you know, we try to educate people. The government didn't listen to us. I believe the government, especially the provincial government, is listening to us more now. And I think we're going to see some more policies involved. But hopefully they're policies that we get some input in that don't cause a lot of problems. Well, I'm going to I'm going to slightly I'm going to agree with Paul, but also disagree just because I was there. They listened to us back then, Paul. They actually uh, listened to our reports, but the pressures they felt from their constituents and, and the media and everything else that went with it, that was the only way that they can show that they were doing something right. So um, you and I, we talked about media, you know, announcements and headlines and what it what impact it has. Um, you know, those are the things that make uh, a politician react. Uh, you don't, you know, <laughs> they take a chainsaw to, you know, instead of using a scalpel, they use a chainsaw many times. We've, we've heard yeah. that many, many <laughs> times, right? So, um, yeah. yeah. Well, well, but gentlemen, we, listening to constituents here, in, it was in 2015 and 2016, we heard about the provincial government thinking about introducing a municipal land transfer tax all across the province outside of Toronto. And it was because of grassroots realtors and leaders across the province that consumers spoke up and said to the government, we do not want a double tax on purchasing a home. And tens of thousands of letters were sent to MPPs across the province. And that ultimately shut down the spread of the municipal land transfer tax outside of Toronto. And you know what? That's a big win. And on that note, gentlemen, uh, it's been a real win for me having you back on the show. And thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks again. Always a pleasure. Always great. Well, it's amazing how fast an hour can go by, and I do want to thank my guests this week. Dave Butler from BM Select, Brett House, Vice President and Deputy Chief Economist at Scotiabank, and I do want to thank my past presidents for joining me, Paul Etherington, Tim Sirianos, and Ray Ferris. What a great, great group of people this week. And I got to tell you, I uh, I can't do it without my producer, Ian Grant. He keeps it simple for me every single week. And I do want to thank you for tuning in, making us the number one real estate talk show. And of course, I will be back next week, as usual, at noon on Sunday. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.